0: Hey listeners, Meili and Christine here. Though we are licensed medical professionals, nothing we speak about in the well conversation should be taken as health advice. These episodes are based on a review of current research available and well-known frequently applied interventions used by professionals in the field. If you have a pre-existing medical condition, the information shared in this presentation may not be entirely safe or applicable to you. Please consult your healthcare practitioner before applying any changes to your health Especially if you have a pre existing medical condition or are taking prescription medications. Hello and welcome to episode 5 of the Well Conversation. I'm your host, Maylee Devlin. And I'm Christine Chung. I'm super excited for today's episode as we have with us a friend and colleague, inclusive wellness consultant Arlie Milliard. Arlie is an advocate for the LGBTQ2SIA community,
1: and her mission is to create a wellness space that's safe and welcoming to everyone, especially those who have felt unwelcome in the healthcare system previously. Arlie works with healthcare practitioners and educators to help improve their language and wellness spaces. Welcome, Arlie. Hello.
0: Hello. So Arlie, can you tell us a bit more about how you ended up not only just in naturopathic medicine, but specifically working with practitioners on diversity and inclusion?
2: Yeah, so I actually decided pretty early on that I wanted to be a naturopathic doctor. I think it was between my first and second year of my undergrad. So I actually hadn't been out for very long at the time, and I really just wanted to go into it because- I wanted to, you know, help heal people. It really didn't have much to do with my identity as a queer femme. Um, but as I worked towards finishing that degree and got more experience and met more queer folks, I just kept hearing all of these experiences from friends and people I loved in my community who were having really, really terrible experiences in healthcare. And I myself also experienced many cases where I was assumed to be straight and did not feel comfortable with my doctors. So I became even more motivated to become a naturopathic doctor and be the doctor that I wished that I had and that I wished that my friends had and could feel safe with. And then when I actually got to naturopathic college and started doing my training, I realized that a lot of my colleagues were wonderful, sweet, caring people who wanted to also serve communities who were underserved, but didn't feel like they were being prepared with the skills and knowledge that they needed at school um, to actually serve this community. And I could actually increase my my reach and increase my impact and the number of LGBTQ2SIA plus folks who I could reach by training other practitioners to also be great clinicians who can work with my beloved community.
1: I love that personal connection you have to it. I watch a lot of your videos on Instagram and it honestly blows my mind, the little things that you don't even think about that I take for granted, for example, how difficult it must be for the LGBTQ2SIA plus community to have to face that. And like every day it's just all these challenges getting thrown their direction when they really just want, you know, they just want to be cared for by their healthcare practitioner and just often, you know, being met with these roadblocks that make it so difficult for them to feel comfortable. So I I really appreciate all the education you're doing. on Instagram at the very least. And I know that you're doing a lot of work with healthcare practitioners
0: as well. And I don't know if we mentioned before that Christina actually went to school with Arlie and Arlie is a wealth of knowledge and continues to be a wealth of knowledge for all of our classmates or anyone who ever has any questions. And I love the way that Arlie approaches these conversations in a very casual and educational way. I think Arlie does a fantastic job of just having these conversations and being able to be that bridge between the people to so the clinicians who maybe have good intentions, but don't have the knowledge. And it's like anything. I think you can have good intentions, but if you don't teach yourself and if you don't practice things, you're not going to be good at it. And you're not going to be able to display this for your patients. And so it's like learning another skill for people who are not used to this. It should be taught in medical schools. It should be at the naturopathic college where okay yeah we're learning about how to communicate proper bedside manner this needs to be a part of that because if you don't know if you're not taught it you're not going to learn and you're going to make people feel uncomfortable just like using language that's inappropriate to talk to a patient this is the exact same context and i think it's a huge missing piece that i feel like i wouldn't have noticed as much without going to school with Arlie. so thank you Arlie.
2: Yeah, I was definitely always speaking up in class about how this particular lecture could be made more inclusive and always having great chats with people who, like you said, like want to do better, but weren't sure how. And uh, yeah, I just love having those kinds of conversations.
1: Yeah. And I know that we were lucky enough to have some of these lectures where we talked about cultural sensitivity and how you can change your language to make people feel more welcome. But also I felt like a lot of the people that we worked with in clinic weren't as experienced with the type of language that should be more regular in healthcare practitioner settings. So I feel like it was difficult if you had... For example, a supervisor in clinic where they didn't have as much experience, it was much more difficult to kind of get that experience with your patients and be able to treat them in a very safe and welcoming fashion. So, totally. So, Arlie, I know that different clinicians specifically do gender affirming care, but why is this important for a general healthcare practitioner or those who work specifically in the community as well?
2: Right. So, the reality is that queer folks make up probably somewhere between 10 and maybe 40% of the population. Obviously, that percentage isn't usually out all the time in most places, but queer folks have all the same health problems that straight, cis people do. So ideally, if I have IBS, I want to go to the best naturopathic doctor who focuses on digestion to treat that. And I want to feel safe there. I shouldn't be limited to the few queer practitioners in my area who may not be experts in the thing that I want treated. So If you want to help as many people as possible with the skills that you have, you need to include queer folks in your space. It's pretty much as simple as that.
0: Yeah, I definitely agree. I guess it's so, you're so good at taking things and making them so simple. And I'm like, oh yeah, like, why is this even a question? Like, obviously (laughs) it's just like, you're a doctor. People need to feel safe and welcome around you. We're not asking for a lot. It's not like people are like, oh, can you give me this really special treatment? It's just like, let's just have the standard treatment for everyone. Let's just raise the bar for everyone. So everyone's included in that. Yeah.
2: So everyone's treated the
0: same and gets the same standard. Exactly. Exactly.
1: Yeah. And I think that's so important. Even something as simple as the intake form, making it completely inclusive so that people feel safe and welcome no matter where they go. Especially if maybe someone in the community, they don't have a doctor close by to them that Focuses specifically on gender affirming care, or is very specifically, hey, I serve the LGBTQ two SIA plus community. I think it's important just for every practitioner to have that knowledge and to have those resources available so that people feel welcome no matter where they go.
2: Yeah, and you make a good point about how maybe in a big city you can more easily find someone who like fits you better, but if you're in a small town and you're only at naturopath there, like there's still going to be queer folks who need care and who would benefit from coming to you if you're able to make space for them.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And Arlie, what have you personally seen in the last few years and changes that have been made? So maybe both personally, but also professionally. So do you think things are trending in the right direction or we're still pretty lost in this space or how do you think things are going in general?
2: Yeah, I think things are changing slowly. Um, I think that one of the last places to change is in education, which is where everyone starts and where you get the information across the board. That really does need to change. And lots of individual practitioners are making great changes and that's their own Uh, Choice to do that in their individual practices, but uh, we're not going to have across the board better and more inclusive care unless we change education so that we're all getting that same information from the get go.
0: Yeah, and I think when we put it in education, it again just creates that standard. This shouldn't be. Specialty. Yes, you can go into a specialty and maybe do gender affirming care, but this idea that, okay, I've graduated and okay, I have this doctorate and now I'm going to go out of my way to take a special course or learn on my own how to be inclusive. Whereas I feel like that should be a part of it. It's like the race part of it. And this summer I was looking at a lot of that and even things that we were taught as facts, right? Where you have a higher risk factor because of the color of your skin. Whereas no, if we actually look at the actual evidence, these people are at higher risk because of more social determinants of their health right not biological or physical actual changes in their bodies and so I think there's a ton of work that we need to do in the education space from elementary school up to doctorate like there's an entire rehaul needs to be done with a lot of parts of the education system so I mean and Arlie's done a fantastic job when she was a student she was changing the curriculum so <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm excited to see some changes that Arlie does but yeah I think I totally agree that as a student who, I mean, I was a student for like how many years?
1: (laughs) Too many years. (laughs) this
0: year, I've stopped being a student for now. But yeah, and the thing is, unless you go out of your way to try and learn about it or to ask yourself these questions, which let's be honest, we don't always do because we get caught up in our own lives and things that are impacting us. And it's really, really easy to put on blinders and to not think about communities that you're not in contact with or think, okay, well, I'm just not going to see that community in my practice, so I don't have to learn. Learn that, and we've talked about how that's cop out doesn't work. We and also just as a person, yes, as a healthcare professional, you should be held to a higher standard. But I think just as people as well. And when you learn, when you learn things, then you spread them to your community. So if we're learning something in school, we all go home and tell our families, "Oh, guess what I learned today." And so I think schools are a great, great place to start to spread that education and, and that knowledge.
2: Yeah, I love working with schools, specifically like naturopathic colleges, but really any medical education has a lot of space for growth here, and I really love updating
1: curricula. So, if you're an educator, I see a job opportunity there. <laughs> Several. You have a lot of work.
0: A lot yeah. of work.
1: <laughs> I was also thinking. So I'm. I work a lot in uh, supplement companies, in consulting, mm-hmm. and product development as well. And I often see these humongous gaps of knowledge in this area for these supplement companies as well. Like for example, companies that are focusing their supplements, targeting women's health. Mm -hmm. And then I start thinking about it. And then I look at the language they use on their promotional pamphlets and flyers that they send to naturopathic doctors or even offer to patients or people who are consumers of their product. And even on the label, the marketing and everything. And I often think very deeply about this as well, being like, there definitely needs to be something changed in their language And I think about it a lot. And a couple of times I have spoken up, especially after, you know, getting a lot of education from you, Arlie, and watching all all your Instagram videos, I once brought up to a company. I said, hey, I think that maybe it would be in your benefit and the benefit of your consumers to maybe change the language to be more inclusive. And I think the response I got was more like, oh, we'll definitely take that into consideration. Thanks for bringing that up. But, you know, I think that right now our marketing tactic is working fine and And we don't really need to do this overhaul and this change. And I sit there thinking, like, but why? It really wouldn't be difficult to change a couple words, get someone like you, Arlie, for example, to do like an overhaul on their website and point out all the things that aren't very inclusive and aren't welcoming to all communities and just change a couple words on their website would be so simple to do.
0: Yeah. And financially, like, it's more economic. You're reaching a wider audience, <laughs> exactly. right? Like Yeah. Everyone needs medicine. Yeah.
1: I think the issue is that a lot of people, especially, you know, a typical crowd that you might work with in the executive field could just be an older crowd or, you know, people who aren't as exposed to maybe the LGBTQ2SIA plus community. And I just feel like for them, it just seems like a non-issue being like, oh, it's such a small niche. Why would I change my language (sighs) to focus on this community as well? But it's so important. And like you said, Arlie, 10 to up to 40 percent, they could still be in the closet. And I just thought it was so important. And like the lack of response I got to the one time I spoke up, it was just so strange to me. And I thought about it for a couple of weeks after just being like, why?
2: Yeah, there definitely needs to be more motivation in that field. I'm very grateful for the people who really want to make those changes, but it can be a little bit like hitting your head
0: on a brick wall for others. (laughs) Oh my gosh. And because we keep referencing these Instagram videos, so Arlie makes really funny reels that like (laughs) take real issues, but she's really funny about it and you should check them out. Arlie, what's your Instagram handle? At Arlie Theo, A R L I E T A T O.
1: Yeah, we'll link it in the podcast notes and also on our Instagram as well. Make sure to tag Arlie so everyone can check them out. They're very entertaining, but also they're very hard hitting with very important points. But it makes it in such like a fun way. I watch this and I'm like, oh, damn, I didn't know that was such an issue. But I'm so glad that I learned. And like, also, I'm going to watch it again because it's fun.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And I I think it's, yeah, it's the not knowing. It's like, okay, I'm going to change my intake form. Sure. And I'm going to maybe say reproductive health, not women's health. But then it's just like little things that you don't think about. And I think your personal connection to it is so valuable. And having your personal experiences and then like this archive of all of people that you know and like you love and stories you've heard from people confiding in you and telling you, okay, I've had this really bad experience experience and it's like, oh my gosh, Arlie, you should write a book. Maybe I will.
1: <laughs> I love it. It's a huge market. I mean, for you, it's a huge market. It's an untapped market where people need more resources, don't know yeah. who to reach out to and won't really do the pushing themselves if they're not pushed to. And I think it's important totally. to push people in the positive direction. So on that note, Arlie, can you give our listeners maybe some examples of do's and don'ts with clinical language, similar to what we like to learn from your Instagram reels?
2: Sure. So I like to say the most important thing to do that you can do across the board is kind of like a gender neutral version of universal design. So creating forms and marketing materials and clinic decor and intake questions that represent and create space for everybody. So this goes a really long way to making everyone feel more welcome and willing to share with you. So this is like just learning how to ask questions in a very neutral way where you're not making any assumptions about anyone's gender, about anyone's relationship status or family status, or the number of people that they're in a relationship with, for example, or the way that they had their kids. These are all things that we have very specific ideas about what's kind of the normal way to do things. And it can feel very alienating when people make an assumption that you've done things that way. Because if you hear it over and over and over again, the implication is you're not normal. And you know your way of doing things, the way that you have actually lived your life is not even worth considering. So if you can learn how to use gender neutral pronouns, gender-neutral words for relationships, ask about partners rather than husbands or wives, and ask questions in a more open-ended way that allows people to actually tell you who they are without any imposed assumptions. That makes everyone actually happier because people want to tell you about themselves. They want to represent themselves, whether or not they're part of the LGBTQ2SIA+ community, they will appreciate being given the opportunity to describe themselves as they are.
0: And as a doctor, you're going to learn more about the person, right? Exactly. And we've learned that in general, actually, that we don't want to ask people yes or no questions, then you're leading the conversation. If someone's coming to you, we want to say, okay, Why are you here? Just give them the opportunity to just start from the beginning and tell you everything because you're going to learn a lot more. And if people aren't asked things, they might think it's not important. Exactly. Whether this is about their own beliefs, whether this is about maybe a physical symptom, Mm -hmm. all of these things that maybe are important if you don't ask it. And you're also making it more difficult on yourself as a clinician <laughs> if you're trying to think of everything to ask, yeah. you're creating this list and you're creating this direction of the visit when maybe the patient came in and wanted a completely different direction. And it would have worked better for both of you. So... I think both from making the patient feel comfortable and also making it easier on yourself. For example, someone like me, yes, I have intention of trying to make people feel comfortable. I want any person who comes to see me to feel comfortable, but I might not know how to best ask questions to make someone feel comfortable. So I feel like the advice of maybe asking less and just being quiet and letting people (laughs) talk and just explain how they want to explain things is great, great advice because... I often in my head, I like overthink, be like, oh, should I say this? Should I not? Like, I don't want to offend this person. I want this person to feel comfortable. Meanwhile, probably the person can tell when I'm kind of spinning my wheels, right? <laughs> and it's just kind of sitting back and being like, okay, why don't you tell me why you're here?
2: What can we, recommend? yeah. And one example of how this can Benefit everyone is we actually know statistically that bisexual and pansexual folks are less likely to come out to their doctors. So you can imagine, especially if someone is bi or pan and they're in a relationship with someone so called opposite gender, if a clinician asks a married woman about her husband without first knowing that she's married to a man, a woman who is married to a woman will correct that person. So the doctor will learn something, that patient will probably feel uncomfortable, there will be a breach of trust, but at least it's out in the open. If that woman is bisexual, but married to a man, there's no opportunity to come out there because the clinician has made an assumption, and technically part of it is true, enough of it is true that there's no opportunity to correct that doctor. Um, But that assumption also signals that the clinician isn't a safe person to come out to, and there isn't space to come out anyway. So that person's just not going to share a potentially important part of who they are.
0: I think it's important to mention, like it is important for health as well. Like I think that patient in that scenario might think, okay, whatever. That's, it's technically true. I do have a husband, whatever. It doesn't matter. They don't need to know, but it may be really clinically relevant. It may come up in the future. Maybe not right now for this appointment, but it is important for your doctor to know. And then on the other hand, I think I've also learned from you questions that we don't need to know that we also ask, Yeah, which was such an eye opener for me. I think it was probably also on Instagram. I learned it, but I forgot what it was. It was like your sexual preferences. Mm -hmm. And I was like, it's, true. Like your sexual preferences, your doctor doesn't need to know that your doctor may need to know, okay, you've had a sexual encounter with another person and that's clinically relevant, but they don't need to know like, but which do you like better? Who do you like? Exactly. like, that's, that's just like that <laughs> doesn't matter. <laughs> right? Yeah. So I
2: think a lot of us try to be more inclusive by asking someone's sexual orientation, which ultimately is totally irrelevant clinically like if you want to know if someone's potentially pregnant, it doesn't matter what their sexual orientation is. It matters if they've had unprotected sex with someone with a penis, you know, like that's the relevant question.
1: I was literally just thinking how we had this conversation. We all burst into laughter. and I was like, yeah, that is kind of silly if you think about it. It just really doesn't <laughs> like we're doctors and yeah. like, sure, it's great to have that doctor patient rapport, but at the end of the day, it really doesn't matter.
0: And it's inappropriate. Like, it's just like...
1: It's like, we really don't need to pry.
0: Yeah. And that can make someone feel uncomfortable. Like they're not your friend. They're your (laughs) patient. And I just think there's so many things we learn to protect patient's safety and and how they feel and and how they're comfortable in an appointment. But the entire kind of narrative behind that is this one population that everything's geared toward. Right. So Mm -hmm. our language, we learn if you're going to do a pap smear, we learn, okay, you can say this. We literally have a document. You can say these words. Do not say these words. Right. And I understand that makes sense. But we're not including everyone in that. And I think that's what's important is just adding on to that knowledge. And yes, we haven't learned that in the past. When we learn things, let's just add it to the curriculum. And I think that's all that we have to do here is just go back and just change the language and then the purpose behind that language as well
1: and keep adding to our own personal curriculums.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly.
1: I think one thing I've really tried my hardest to work on is more of gender-neutral language. So I'll find myself, even now, it's a lot more natural to me now because I've been working on it since clinical internship year, just trying to say, use more they, thems, and also use the word partner instead of husband or wife. And I find that a lot of people who you wouldn't expect to open up about it, do. Because I think in their head, they're like, oh, from the start, this doctor has used the proper language that makes me feel comfortable. So yeah, I think I am going to open up about this one personal aspect of me and it'll be really helpful for them to know as well when they're doing my intake. I find that the smallest thing, and I'll practice it in my daily language as well. I'll try and like take the gender out of my sentences when I'm like describing a story to my friends. It's kind of like a mental exercise for me. And I find it's so helpful coming into practice as a doctor, referring to patients in a way that's just very open and welcome and inviting.
0: Yeah, and the more that you practice it, I feel like the people around you pick up on things subconsciously. They don't know what you're doing. It's just the way that, as a society, we can kind of change language to kind of take that really narrow approach and just open things up in conversation. Even right before we started the podcast,
1: we had this interesting discussion. I know uh, my brother, so he's in the art community, and so he has a lot of friends and people he interacts with that are in the LGBTQ2SIA plus community. So he uses a lot of they them. So even when referring to you, he would be like, oh, do they know the Zoom code to come in? Do they know this? And I was like, oh, I never realized this with Andrew. Yeah, we're like, Andrew, you're so good at
0: that. And he was like, what?
1: And he was just like, oh, you know, like, I'm in the art community. You know, you you should do it to make people feel more welcome. And I was like, wow, so insightful.
2: Yeah. And it's so interesting because it's actually something that most English speakers know how to use. In in daily life, we use neutral they, them for a singular person all the time. If we just don't know the person that we're referring to, like if we go into a room and we see a pair of mittens, we would be like, oh, someone left their mittens, you know, and it's totally natural to use that language. We just have to practice in our heads using it for people whose gender we would assume that we know based on what they look like, but don't actually
0: know because they haven't told us. Arlie, so we like to always give our listeners actionable items and it's usually about their health or wellness. And so for you, I wanted to ask three things that our listeners can do, whether they are patients, whether they are in the corporate world, whether they're healthcare practitioners, how can they be a more inclusive person? Maybe three tips. So we talk about pronouns
2: a lot in terms of people using the gender neutral singular they them but also just being able to share what your pronouns are that you use is a nice way to make people feel more included and feel welcome to share their own pronouns so you can put your pronouns in your email signature in your social media bio in your zoom name and that'll make people feel more comfortable if they want to share their own pronouns too. You don't have to ask people what their pronouns are, but if you have yours shared, it creates a better environment for that. I think some of the deeper work that everyone needs to do really in order to make safer spaces is to really start dismantling a lot of the assumptions that we make about gender. And so that includes all of the norms and jokes and little structures that we have about gender roles. So I mean- the number of reels that i see that are about like oh my husband did this or my wife did this and it's just playing into this these assumptions about what men and women are like so if you notice anyone making those kinds of jokes or having conversations based on assumptions about gender roles maybe try questioning that you know asking why we actually think that's funny Um, does that actually hold true with everyone that we know, or is that maybe less set in stone than we've been raised
0: to believe? So if you see like a reel or a TikTok,
2: Mm -hmm.
0: oh, my husband did this, like, haha, like classic husband kind of thing.
2: Yeah, totally. Or like, oh my gosh, the number of reels that I've seen that are like the entire joke is like, my wife goes to Target too much. Oh my God, why?
1: (laughs) Yes, yes. For sure. If only they knew how lovely Target was.
2: Yeah, exactly.
0: (laughs) Target is a great place. (laughs) Okay, that's a good one. I like that one.
2: I think we talk about language a lot, but imagery also matters a lot too. So uh, if you have a website, If you have social media where you're marketing to the public, are the images that you're showing of diverse people, of diverse relationships, of people of different gender identities, and not just when you're talking about lgbtq to sia plus issues. Like a lot of the time, the only time that you'll see an image of a trans person, for example, is a post specifically about inclusion. Just they're also people, so put them on any post you want where it's relevant and there actually are some great stock images available that have lots of diverse people I can't remember exactly what they're called right?
0: like it's like a, a name for the stock images that you can like yeah and they're look. they're free they're like
2: under the Creative Commons. So I think that one's called the Gender Spectrum Collection. That's great. And it just has images of diverse people on the gender spectrum, but just doing normal things that you would want stock images of. So that's a great resource for if you're choosing photos for social media or for your website. And it does provide the suggestion to just use these images in articles or places that are not specifically about LGBTQ2SIA
1: stuff. Awesome, and how can listeners reach out to you if they'd like to learn more or educate themselves?
2: Sure, so I am on Instagram at Arlie Theo, and my website is ArlieMilliard.ca, and you can contact me there. I got
0: a contact form, and I respond to that promptly. Arlie, it was amazing. I've, again, learned so much. I miss seeing you daily where I always learn something new. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. And for our listeners, Arlie is a fantastic resource. She's great to talk to. And I love having conversations with you, Arlie, because Arlie is very non-judgmental and very open. I feel like when we would first have these discussions, I would be afraid I was offending you and and oh, I don't even know if I should ask this question because it might be offensive. But the whole mission of everything Arlie does is to educate people. And so part of that is having really uncomfortable conversations. And I think Think something i would ask our listeners to do is maybe challenge yourself to just have conversations even if you feel like it may be awkward for you and maybe for the other person but that's how we kind of move forward so arlie thank you it's good to see your face thank you and for our listeners until next time feel
1: well learn well